All right, turn off the music. No more lead-in. I'm miserable. I'm miserable today, Bob. This I, I sat here and watched two games today. Watched a, a, a big series against the Braves over the weekend. And I am now going to be, just like all the fans, I'm, I'm going to go against my type. I'm going to go against my type. And I'm going to be the one that starts screaming the sky is falling. Because the Phillies are just annoying and frustrating me right now. And, and, and that's just where I just want to start right there. Right off the top, I'm unhappy with this team. And I'm unhappy with it because I, I'm seeing the things are playing out now that I was starting to worry about even when things were going well. And I'm not seeing any, any urgency for resolution. And I'm worried, with as good as the Braves are, that this is going to be a team that fades quickly. It reminds me of last year. It just does. And they're not likable right now. And that's what bothers me more than anything else. I don't know how you feel, Bob. I'm, I'm going to turn it over to you here in just a second. But right now, I, I've been and I've been feeling this for the entire month of June, maybe even a little bit in May. I was a little, you know, um, you know, when they were out in uh, Chicago, Milwaukee. I, I just didn't don't didn't really like this team. Just didn't like it. And now it's it's rearing its ugly head. And we could say it's injuries. You say, oh, the, uh, the bullpen has got all these guys on the DL. Oh, they lost McCutcheon. To me, there are so many more problems right now with the Philadelphia Phillies. Organizationally, in the lineup, in the dugout, upstairs in the, in the executive offices, I think there are more issues with this team right now that this could end up becoming... This could end up becoming a far worse problem over a long period of time. Something that might not be imminently, or easily, I should say not imminently, easily correctable. Your thoughts. Oh, man. That's a lot to unpack. That is a lot to unpack. Obviously, it was a miserable day for the Phillies. It has been a miserable couple of weeks here. They have now lost six. Uh, uh, they're six and twelve in their last eighteen games. They've lost seven of their last nine. They have lost seven and a half games in the standings to the Atlanta Braves since May 29th. They have an even run differential now on the season, despite being five games over 500. And they're actually now a game behind the 2018 team's pace. And that team through 73 games actually had a plus 18 run differential. So you made all these upgrades, you went out, and you spent all this money on the offense, and you saw what that got you today. Uh, you see that where that's kind of gotten you to this point. It's not good. I agree that there are several issues with this team, both in the short term, and they may lead to also being long-term issues as well. Um, you know, it's just it's really ugly right now. And I think that you can look at this, and I think we will. You'll break it down for multiple facets. You look at the offense, and you say, how could this offense, with the expectations that it had on it, be this bad? And how could it be consistently this bad over this, this multi-week stretch? And if you even step back and look at the entire season-long numbers, they're middle of the pack to lower third in slugging percentage in terms of OPS. And it's just... It's amazing how much this offense has struggled and how many guys that have a track record, a proven track record, are playing beyond what they have typically done throughout their career. 
Uh, you look at the bullpen. You look at the injuries. You look at some of the tactical decisions that Gabe Kapler made, and certainly we'll talk about some of that today. And you look at the starting rotation, which for, for a day and two games, they were very good today, and it didn't matter because the rest of the team fell apart. It's a disaster right now. Um, they still are five games over 500. If the season ended today, they'd be in the playoffs. Um, things are never as bad as they seem. Things are never as, as good as they seem. I think that those are the, the things you can kind of throw out there as a, as a you know, like almost like a life raft <laughs> at this point. Uh, but yeah, it's ugly right now. It's it's really ugly. So, I guess let's let's start more um, with immediate reaction to what we saw today, and then we can maybe work our way outward and uh, and look at the the higher level, uh, more broad issues that this team's facing right now. So, g- go ahead. I got one positive from today. One. Well, all right, maybe one and a half. One positive from today is Jake Arrieta pitched a hell of a game. Yeah, and if he can just get seven days rest in between his starts, we should be fine from here on out. <laughs> he he pitched a really really good game. I mean that 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 Nationals those Nationals hitters were off balance against him all day, and he looked he looked like old Jake Arietta. So it was that was nice. And the half I was going to give is I thought Kingery had a nice first game of the doubleheader. Okay, but that's now, it. I, I want to else for you. That's a positive. I actually kind of want to start with Gabe Kapler because. My focus has sort of been on Gabe Kapler since he's been hired. We've talked a lot about the analytics. We've talked about the unorthodox style. Uh, We talked about how last year he sort of covered up and and just tried to put a positive spin on everything that happened, even when things were miserable. This year, I think he's a little bit more forthcoming. I think he's a little bit more real, a little bit more honest. And that's all fine and well. But at the end of the day, what really matters here is that the Phillies win. And right now, they're not doing that. And Gabe Kapler is getting a ton of criticism both from certain media types, but really from this fan base. You go on Twitter, you listen to Sports Talk Radio, people just talking about the team casually around the office, your friends, and there has been a lot of criticism on Gabe Kapler. Now, I'm going to start, and I want to tell you sort of how I view him and where they're at right now with Gabe Kapler, and I really kind of want to hear what you think because I know that we differ on this a little bit. So the way that I look at this, and I go back to, to Sunday's game especially, and I say, okay... The Phillies had options in that game to, to start either Vince Velasquez, to start Jared Eikhoff, to start Cole Irvin. And the way the game played out, it was very obvious that none of those three guys had it. And I look at a game like that, and I look at the bullpen injuries, and I look at the injury to Andrew McCutcheon, and it I don't want to say I, I'm, I, I know it sounds like I'm apologizing for him. I know it sounds like I'm building excuses for him. But I just look at the state of the personnel on this team, and yes, certain guys are underachieving, but it's just not that good of a team when you look at the attrition that they've experienced through the first three months of the season. And and I have a hard time saying that they need to fire the manager, that they need a, a, a change in voice in the clubhouse when I look at what this bullpen is, when I look at the inconsistencies of the starting rotation, and when I look at the way that this offense is performing, Gabe Kapler does not stand in the box and cause Reese Hoskins to go through a brutal three-and-a-half-week stretch. He's not the reason that Bryce Harper is hitting with a lower launch angle this season and swinging and missing more. He's just not. He's not the reason that Gene Segura is hitting 175 since June 1st. He's not. And so when I look at this and what's happening, I, 
I don't know. I mean, is he going to be the sacrificial lamb? Do you just have to change the voice for the sake of changing the voice because you can't do that drastic of a roster turnover and the Phillies are so heavily invested in this season financially and in terms of what they tried to sell, sell to the fans? So does he become the, the sacrificial lamb, the scapegoat? Or, or do we just kind of say, yeah, shit, he doesn't have a lot to work with here. Well, I'll say this. Uh, on Sunday, I don't blame Gabe Kapler. I blame the organization. You don't go into a series against the Atlanta Braves with first place on the line. And I know it's just June, but the games count just as much in June as they do in September. You don't go into that series with the notion that, eh, we'll throw something out there on Sunday. You just don't. That is poor planning. And it's a lack of a plan. And this is one of the things that we've discussed on this program before Bob, that has kind of bothered me, and it's really chafing me right now, is that this organization lacks a plan. I don't get it. I don't understand what it is. It's constantly shifting. One day it's this. The next day it's that. The next day it's this. It, it just bothers me. It, it's, it's almost like they don't know what to do, and they just keep trying different things and hoping something works, and that is, that is uncomfortable. Yeah, they went out and spent the money. Yeah, they said we're going to be a better team. And, and yeah, they, they put the spotlight on them themselves more because, yeah, look, we, we went out and spent John Middleton's money, and now we're going we're to be one of the best teams in baseball. You'll see. And it was a lot of bravado about it. And now when, it's, now when the shit's hitting the fan, now it's a problem. Now it's a problem because they don't have a solution. So, no, I don't blame Gabe Kapler for Sunday, Okay. I don't blame and, – and, you know, I can sit here and be nitpicky about things that the manager does. I don't always agree with the decisions he makes. I, maybe I don't agree with them a little bit more than you do, and that's okay. And I, I think that would be the case with any manager. You always second-guess a manager. Yeah, like, right? for instance, tonight we argued about, uh, I guess it was, what, the seventh inning? Um, yeah. Was it Max Scherzer's last inning? Cesar Hernandez yes. with the leadoff double. And we kind of argued, you know, do you hit Andrew Knapp? Uh, you know, do you hit JT Romuto one batter earlier for Andrew Knapp? And, and yeah, maybe like what you had said made made total sense. I was on the side of you know whatever at this point. You know, you let Nap hit, use Real Muto in the nine hole. You said maybe why not hit for him in the eight spot for Nap, and certainly that's fine. And like we can have that argument, but I think when you step back from it, it's sort of like you just said. You can be nitpicky, but <laughs> you right. know you but saw those at bats, and it's like okay, well, right. Here, here's but here's where I will differ with you on Kapler. Last year. This team had a situation where it was a good team, and then it, it slowly started to get away from them towards the end of the season. You know, the pitchers were burning out, or whatever the reasons were. The lineup wasn't good, and and, and it just tailspin. Right, it was a major tailspin. And as a manager, your responsibility at that point is to find a way out of that tailspin. It's to, it's to do what you have. It's managing people. Okay. It's, it, let's take the, let's take the the X's and O's of the sport out of it. Let's take the analytics out of it. Let's just not focus on statistics or or what you do between the lines or managing from the dugout. Let's just take all that out of it. Okay, but when you have a situation where a team is struggling, how do you make that how do you make that team better? In sports, in business, in you know whatever you're in, whatever your role is, is as a manager of a group of people, you have to get them to work together better. What do you have to do? You have to find a way to make it happen, okay? And that, like I said, it could be anything. So it, in this situation, Gabe wasn't able to do it. It was his first go round. 
maybe he learned some lessons. I think he did. I mean, we talked about this before. I think there have been um, improvements to Gabe this year uh, as a manager. Um, and it's not just the cosmetic stuff, like about how he talks about things. I, yes, I wish he was more honest with people, but at the same time, that's kind of hooey when you really I mean it's it's baloney and right. and, and you know in the grand scheme of things but where I can have concern is here we are again now in the next season and we're facing a similar type of adversity and he doesn't seem to have an answer for that group again he doesn't seem to have an answer to has it been a long enough stretch to definitively conclude that or or they do you are say minus 30 runs in June minus 30 that's that to me is an epic collapse in the in the month of June. You don't you they're losing games and said they're not even close. They're not you're watching the game like they're not going to win. There's no prayer they're going to win this game. They're lucky that they won the one game in Atlanta that they did the way it turned out. I mean that that's what I'm that's what my concern is, Bob, is that they can't find their way out. And to me, good managers find their way. There's going to be slumps in baseball seasons. It's way too long of a season to not have those hills and valleys, right? right. But good, good managers are going to find their way out of them. And I'm not convinced that Gabe Kapler can find his way out of these. And that's my concern with him. More, more than anything else, I will rail against the other stuff because I'm more of an old-school baseball guy, and that's fine, and that's fun for us to laugh about whatever. Uh, you know, I'm sure that it, there are many times where it works and just as much as it doesn't work, right? But that's just I'm – gonna, I'm always going to highlight when it doesn't work because it, that, you know, that's my agenda, okay? But when, I'm, when I really want to break it down and really want to look at it, I'm concerned that they don't, that they don't have accountability – and I'm not – again, we haven't even gotten to the Segura thing yet, right? Yeah, we're getting there. We'll get there. But, I mean, but it's there, – there's a – you know, when the team – when the players are playing poorly, they just keep going out and playing poorly. Nothing changes. So, so no let me ask you this. Let, let me ask you a question then. And like you said, we'll touch on the Segura thing in a moment. How far away are we if this thing continues to spiral? Like let's just say we get to the 4th of July and they have no answer and they sink to – Gee, I don't know. Let's say like three or four games below 500. So, I mean, this thing really continues to escalate or I guess well, de-escalate I, the way that you right, look at me, it. I mean, do we just... reach a point where we say like, okay, like, you know what? He may not even be a bad manager. He probably deserves another shot somewhere else, but it's just not working here. And so we need to make a change. It very well could happen. Uh, I think if it gets to that, if it gets that bad, if they get become four, you know, four games under 500. I think it certainly will happen. Um, I don't, but my, what I, what I think is even more. You know, you look at Atlanta and how well they're playing. Even if you're mediocre, you're going to lose ground. That that's the that's the concern right now. So you know, it was funny. Somebody said, you know, well, it's going to be real fun to watch this team when they're eight or nine games out in August. And I'm like, eight or nine in August? They could be eight or nine games out by the Fourth of July. And that's even – they could just play 500 ball between now and then and the Braves be five games over 500 between now and then. And yeah, then, I mean, I will you know say the Braves are, are red hot right now. Yes. With that said, they're not 
I'm sorry. Like, I got to pump the brakes on the Braves a little bit. Like, these guys aren't the 29 Yankees. Like, they are a good team. That lineup is very deep. That bullpen is still extremely suspect. And they have inconsistencies in their sure. starting rotation. And I know that they signed Dallas Keuchel. I get it. Everyone thinks that Dallas Keuchel He's is Randy Johnson, guy, and that's no. fine. But, like, that starting rotation still has holes in it. They've, they've had a lot of young guys that have pitched extremely well. They can experience regression. We've seen this happen before. And the bullpen, like I said, very suspect. I think the Braves are better than the Phillies. I think that the Braves are going to win the NL East at this point. I, I think you would have to be looking through some really red-colored you know, glasses to think that the Phillies are the superior team. I'm just saying that I don't expect the Braves to play 650 baseball, 700 baseball for the remainder of the season. I don't think they're going to run away with this division by 10 or 15 games. I could be wrong. I just think that they're going to hit that that streak. I mean, they also haven't exactly been playing world beaters themselves lately. They've taken you know advantage like like good teams do. They've taken advantage of mediocre and uh, you know teams that are a little bit vulnerable for various reasons. The Phillies because of injuries and everything that they have going on included. Now the Phillies, on the other hand, and this is where I say like okay, like as negative as we probably should be and are being. They play the, the the Marlins this weekend at home. I believe they follow that up with a series against the Mets. Like they're going to have to they're going to have to take advantage of the the lighter schedule. And I know that the Mets are always a problem for them. You know, I get that. But I just don't know that this thing is going to get out of control in the next two weeks. I, I as annoyed as I am and as frustrating as it has been to watch them. I mean, it has been this has been horrible baseball. I just, for whatever reason, I don't feel like it's going to get that far away from them. But there are certainly reasons for, for concern. And if you feel that that is the case, I, I can't totally fault you for it. The Braves are not going to run away with, you know, 110 wins and, you know, hide. Okay. And, and you know, if there's anything to be optimistic about, it's that the schedules kind of flip on, on the Phillies and the Braves here after tomorrow. Um, the Phillies' next, what, nine or ten games are against the Marlins and the Mets. Meanwhile, the Braves have a lengthy road trip that's with no break, Washington, Chicago, and then the Mets before they play the Phillies again. Um, so it, it, it could actually kind of hover around where they're at four games right now, or even the Phillies could maybe even get a game or two back. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it could well be that. I, I'm just not certain – that the way things are right now, that the Phillies are going to flip the switch. That's what that's what I'm worried about. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, if if the Braves are playing 500 over the next you know 10 games, are the Phillies going to go eight and two? I don't think so. Like that's what that's where I I sit there and say, well, you know, they could just as easily fall further back as they could get back in, you know, back closer to the Braves again. What's amazing is it, it kind of changes by the day, though. So, like, at the end of Sunday, I said, well, they obviously need a starting pitcher. They've got to go out. They can't wait till the deadline. they got to go get a starting pitcher. And that, that remains true if the, the end game is that they're trying to reach the postseason. They're going to need a starting pitcher. But now you watch this uh, today, and you kind of say to yourself, like, well, they, they need a starting pitcher. Pat Neshek is going back on the injured list. I, I've kind of like closed the book on Pat Neshek. I've I've always been, um, I would say a little bit, 
I've always looked at him favorably. Like I thought that the lack of availability and all that stuff has always kind of been overblown. But just the injuries at this point and the ineffectiveness recently um, in this this particular season, I'm kind of done with Pat Neshek. They're going to need to add to the bullpen. They look like they're going to need at least one more everyday bat. Like, do you really want to go all in on a team like this right now if you don't feel that it's going to be if you don't feel that it's going to result in a in a division championship, like do you want to keep adding, adding, adding to to maybe be a wild card team? Because I think at some point, if this continues, the expectation is going to shift and the focus is going to shift from the division to let's just see if we can make the playoffs. Right, and this is why I say that I'm concerned that there are long term ramifications for the Phillies, and it's because I look at Atlanta. And I look at what's coming, and I look at how young they are, and I say to myself, they're going to be at the top of this division and battling for the the division for several years. And the Phillies, uh, do you you know their best chance of being ahead of the Braves in my mind is this year. It's their best chance. I think it only as you look down the line, it only I think gets harder and harder for them to be ahead of the Braves. So that that's why I sit there and say, you know, I don't want to give up. A ton of prospects to for you know part-time players like they did last year. Not that they gave up a ton of prospects last year, but they, you know, those kinds of players. I don't want to do that again. But at the same time, I'm like, wow, if I have to wait another year, they might not be good enough to, to compete with the Braves next year. And, so, and this is kind of what's hard to look at when, when you look at this team. What's hard to figure out is if you go around the the starting lineups, go around the diamond, the only place that the Phillies have a higher OPS than the Braves right now is at catcher. Every other position, the Braves everyday player has a higher OPS than a Phillies everyday player. Now, they're young, they have talent. Some of those guys, uh, you know, that, that fact or what I just said holds up because they have the better player. If, if you want to look at this in a more optimistic way, you would say, well, the Phillies can bridge that gap because they're just simply underperforming. It's not a talent disparity. It's not because the Braves had the superior player in every position. It's just that the Phillies haven't quite gotten going yet, and they're going to or that they're more than capable of. Out of everything that Gabe Kapler said tonight, the one thing that was kind of interesting was what happened at the end, and he says, you know, this doesn't have to be the story of our season. It only has to be the story of the last few weeks, and he's right, but it's got to change like now, (laughs) like starting with this last game here against the nationals and going into this easier portion of the schedule. They're not going to get to rewrite the story of the season if they don't figure it out in the next couple weeks. No. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and that's the thing. Like they play Atlanta again at the beginning of July. And, and if they don't, you know, if they don't figure it out here in these next several games, you know, one more against Washington and then the, Marlins, Mets, Marlins. If they don't get it right, or, or at least get you know, at least be somewhat above 500 in those games, that's why I'm saying to you they could be eight games out by the end of that Atlanta series, and right. then you sit there and say, well, now what? And at that point, maybe, maybe you you start talking about making a change. But I'll tell you what, the fact that we're sitting here talking about the potential of making some kind of change organizationally. That doesn't include players. That, that's, and we're not going to be the only ones saying it, Bob. I mean, you and I aren't going to. We're not going to be like, oh my God, did you hear crossed up? They were talking about firing, potentially firing the manager, or making a change in the in, in the executive position. Like, I, I, we're not going to be the only ones saying it. So if, if a yeah, lot and of people- I don't think. I mean, if you listen to this show, 
if you listen to this show, you know that that I've kind of had the managers back, and and I you think have, that yeah. you know you've been. I think you've been really fair. I think that you've been a little bit more critical. We've said it, but I think that you've been very fair with Gabe Kapler. I, I still have his back. I'm still supporting him, but I, I can't ignore the the idea that at some point they may have to make this change. And you're right. We aren't going to be the only ones saying it. Yeah. I, I, let me ask you this, though, because I think you can do this in steps. You may look at this, this staff and say, well, all right, we got to blow the whole thing up. I, I would say, and, and you're starting to see this, when, when offenses don't hit, who do they look to? Where does the blame go? Doesn't uh, hitting, go on the player. Hit, hitting coach. It goes on the hitting coach. Yeah. So now you're starting to see, and I don't know how many of our listeners are Twitter people. I would suspect a pretty good amount of them are. You're starting to see the hitting coach's name pop up, John Malley. Like, is, do you do you think this is something that they need to consider? I I don't. I mean, I don't buy into it that much. I mean, it, it's something that could happen. I mean, I could, it could conceivably happen, and that could be like the first try attempt at a shakeup, you know. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know if the hitting coach at the major league level is affecting how the players are playing. I, I don't know. I, I think the pitching coach has a little bit more impact because it determines, you know, who's can, who can throw when and this and that, and the, and the throwing program. I saw. I think it, I think the impact by a coach on pitchers is a little bit more than it is on batters. But, I mean, that's just – maybe I'm naive on that. I, don't know. I think that there is an impact, but I do agree in the sense that when you have guys that are 8-, 9-, 10-year veterans and they're not producing the way they have in the past, I think it's an oversimplification and it's sort of a cop-out to say, well, who's the hitting coach? Oh, it must be his fault. However, like I said earlier in the show, when you look at the number of Phillies players that are performing below their career averages, it is a little bit startling. And sometimes, just from a you know from a psychological aspect, you, you you throw somebody out there, they lose a job, and it, it does kind of shake things up a little bit. Now, it, it's funny how like people talk about like we should you should cut this guy, you should fire him, you should DFA a guy. Like these are this is a person's livelihood, you know. So you don't want to just throw that away. I think that that's it, sometimes we lose track of this, but. I do think that if they continue down this path, there's going to have to be some type of change on that staff. Uh, yeah. And and I don't know that it, it goes. I don't know that you go right for the head. I don't know that you go right for Gabe Kapler. I think that there could be some some smaller moves or rearranging that they could do, reassign guys, make them a minor league instructor, move guys around, or whatever. Uh, that is a, a conversation that I do think this team's going to have to entertain at some point. There's no way. And I mean, and and like I said, it's it's somewhat unfair I think to blame all of this on him but I, I will say if we go back to the middle of March and you know they they sign Bryce Harper and then I were to read you the stats of where they're at offensively like middle of the pack and runs scored middle of the pack and OPS slugging percentage isn't even close bottom third in the National League and home runs hit like you would say what you know, and I would say they've been relatively healthy in their lineup, save for the McCutcheon injury the last couple of weeks, and, and an injury to Scott Kingery, you know, who, by the way, is their best offensive player right now. But if I would have told you Kingery would miss a month and McCutcheon would miss a couple of weeks here into June 17th, June 18th, you know, and they're going to be bottom third in the National League in home runs, you would have said, I'm nuts. Yeah, because I didn't think McCutcheon was going to be a big home run guy anyway. And nor did I. I mean, I thought Kingery was going to have a nice season, but I didn't think he would be a home run guy. So, but I, I thought all the power would be from the guys that are currently in the lineup. 
or on the bench, <laughs> for that matter, because uh, Mike Calfranco can't even get a start over Brad Miller at this point. Yeah, uh, I actually want to get to him in a minute. I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. I don't want to get too much further without uh, getting into this Gene Segura thing. And so, as you know, and if you've listened to the show, um, I'm not a huge hustle guy. Like, I'm not. I think it, it gets overblown. We've spoken about this. Yep. I think it's it's somewhat cliche. I think that people latch on to this stuff because they, they don't really um, – I don't want to say understand, but I think it's just an easy point to make, honestly. Uh, I will tell you this tonight. I was annoyed at Gene Segura. I thought it was ridiculous that he wasn't on second base. Uh, They are in the middle of a free fall. They lost a tough game earlier in the day. You know that you're going to have to scrape for every single run you get off of Max Scherzer. It's, It's beyond me how he was not on second base to start the game. And so while I don't blame him for Andrew McCutcheon's injury, I think that that's ridiculous. I, I know he fell out of the box. I just didn't expect a dead sprint down there. I, to me, that was a ridiculous overreaction. And that's how I feel about that, and I'm not going to change how I feel about that. But watching this play tonight, I said, okay, given that that has happened already and given that we've had this conversation and we know that there is a microscope on him for this reason – for him not to be busting his ass out of the box in the first inning of this game tonight, I found it to be perplexing. Yes, and, and you're right. About everything you just said is uh, is correct, and we've had this discussion. It, it happens in baseball, right? Guys bat 700 times in a year, a couple times a year, you know, even more than a couple, maybe you know, 15, 20 times in a year. They're probably not going to run as hard as they as you would like them to, and that's just the nature of baseball. Okay, but they need to be reminded of it. And, and this is where this is where it gets this gets back to what I was just saying about what I'm not certain with with Gabe in the accountability department. I mean, when you really look at it, all right, we know Segura has a history with this, right? It happened in Seattle. Okay. Then you have the McCutcheon thing, which you know you can make arguments either way. Should he have been hustling out? Should he have been even after he got fell down and got up? Yeah, I mean, you know, whatever. But it was discussed enough, and it was brought up, and you know, Segura answered a question about it. Said, "Yeah, I got to be better." Gabe said he talked to him. Okay, fine. And now it happens again. So this would be the third time in, a, in less than a year. And now we'll see what kind of accountability there is for it. But in the process, since then, you had the incident with uh, Reese Hoskins last week where he didn't run it out on that pop-up, right? And then you have – and I think the byproduct of that is guys trying to do – other guys who, who do bust it trying to do too much, like Bryce Harper. Today. Yeah, I think that that may have cost them game one. Like uh, honestly, okay, I, I think that that cost them that game. Right, and and I think that and I think that's a situation. And then Ga- and, you know, Gabe is sitting there after the game, saying, "Oh, that's that's an aggressive play. I like it. If he doesn't take the stutter step, then he would have made it fine." And you know what? That ball's right in front of him. Para is on it as he he's looking at Para fielding the ball as he's rounding second. He's looking at him and thinks he can beat it the third. And it's not that. Not that it was a bad decision because, oh, my God, how stupid by Bryce Harper, but it's Bryce Harper going, you know what? We're not doing anything offensively. I got to try and do something a little extra just to try and you know, jumpstart this offense. And it turns out to be a, a you know, bum decision by him. Yeah, and, and, and he made a great play out in center field, and it had to be a, a – I think he barehanded it. Yeah, he and, did. And then he, I mean, he had all of a throw, and that's, that's all fine and well. I would actually respect – and what I, what I think Gabe should have done – is, is come out and said, you know, you shouldn't make the first out of an inning at third base. We all know that. It wasn't that smart of a play. But when you look at what we've done on the base pass the last couple of weeks and guys dogging it, 
it's hard for me to criticize Bryce in this situation. Yes. And if he would have said that, I would have said, well, shit. You that know, would have been like, a great answer. That's the right answer in that situation because I do think that – and I'm not going to make – I could definitely go into a segment in which we rip apart Bryce Harper right now. Like, you know, Bryce yeah. Harper is not exempt from blame in what is happening to the Phillies. Trust me. Uh, I've been thoroughly underwhelmed with him. But in that situation, I do think that that was – a part or a factor of Bryce Harper's decision-making in that moment. It was kind of a, you know what? Screw it. Like, we're not playing well. We've got guys dogging it. I'm going to make a play. And I think that that's what happened there. And I think that Gabe Kapler, had he explained it that way, I think people would have been a lot more comfortable with it. Now, after the game tonight, really interesting, he calls Segura's play in the first inning unacceptable. And he said he had spoken with Segura about it. He agreed. Reporters down there, I think it was Matt Gelb, had said that, uh, you know, they had talked to Segura as well. He said, I totally agree. I understand it was unacceptable. Everyone's on the same page. It's just now what? So, like, is he going to be out of the lineup tomorrow? Is is he going to be admonished for this? Or are his teammates like, what the hell, man? Like, what is the dynamic in the locker room? And that's what's going to be kind of interesting to see how this thing plays out now. The hustle thing keeps coming up. And it's stupid in isolation. But when it comes up, like, five times in a three-week three stretch – that's where I start to adjust my opinion and go, okay, maybe this is something that we do need to look at now. Yeah. And and I don't mean to seem like I'm wavering on my my hardline stance from earlier this month, but yeah, okay. Like when you factor in what happened earlier and you factor in what happened with Hoskins and Harper on that one play, uh, I guess it was against the Reds, right, two Sundays ago, and then you factor in what's happened tonight, yeah, like now I think that this is something that's on everyone's radar and that it's, it's worth discussing, and it'll be really interesting to see now what does Gabe Kapler do about it and does this shit stop? Right, and so another, another thing that ties into this as well, and I'll give you another example, and this is why I, I, I'm concerned that Gabe doesn't, do the right thing or even if he even if he sits secure tomorrow I mean it could always be more so because he's hitting 175 in June and not because he didn't you know hustle out of the box right I mean if you really want to send a message you pull him out when it happens you don't wait till the next day okay but that's beside the point you, you look at also in the first game you know in the sixth was it the sixth inning or seventh inning Phillies have you know runners on base and uh Rodriguez is up 3-0 pitch <laughs> oh god yeah. and he swings yeah. at it and he doesn't hit yeah. he doesn't make good contact i mean it's one thing you take you have a green light and you you know you crush the ball and you know hey somebody makes a catch at the wall okay fine you hit a line drive right at the third baseman okay you hit the ball hard he hit a little weak ass tapper back yeah. to the mound okay Six, it's 67 miles an hour exit velocity okay a all right two hopper to third on a, on a, oh, that's what it was it was the third base yeah okay so it was three 3-0 pitch now that obviously should not happen but they asked Gabe about it afterwards. He says, "I like I like the aggressiveness. That's exactly what I want him to be doing in that spot." Do you, really now? Really? I mean, are you just saying that because he's your buddy that you went that you played with in Tampa, or, or or do you really believe that? Because either way, I think it's a bad answer. Yeah. Or do you really just not believe in Roman Quinn on deck? <laughs> you know, <laughs> which I get. Looking yeah. at his four bats uh, in game one and his 103 batting average, I mean, did, did that play a role in it? It may have. Uh, that that was my immediate thought. I said, okay, I, I understand I don't, taking I don't think, a shot with Rodriguez yeah, there. But I don't but, think that's a green light that he was given. I think <laughs> that that's one that the player just 
takes because he has a feel. You know what I'm saying? I don't, yeah. I don't think he's getting the sign to swing on three. And, and you know how it goes. I mean, if he swings there and he, he pieces up a ball, you go, okay, all right. Like, that's that was uh, thinking outside the box, giving old Sean Rodriguez the 3-0 green light. But I agree. If you're if you're swinging in that pitch, you better damn well do something with it. And if Sean Rodriguez probably shouldn't be swinging at any 3-0 pitch. So it was like, again, it's like one of those things because of everything else that's happening, you look at that isolated play and you go, that's really, really bad. Now, like if the Phillies came back and would have won that first game today, or if even if they would have beaten Scherzer tonight, we probably wouldn't be so annoyed by it. But that's what's happening right now. You you just look across the board and it's like, what's the thing that you really feel good about other than, as you said, Scott Kingery in game one today? There's really nothing to feel that good about. No. And as, as good as Zach Eflin's been, this is this is interesting, as good as Zach Eflin's been, and he's definitely been the Phillies' best starter this season, 2-8, Three ERA after a six inning uh, performance today, only two earned runs, seven strikeouts. The Phillies are six and eight in Zach Eflin's fourteen starts this season, mm-hmm. with a guy that's pitching to a sub three ERA. Yeah, that's a problem. Well, you know the Phillies. Have, what, what's the record now? Thirty nine and thirty four, right? or 30, yes, yeah, thirty four, right? Yeah. So that's seventy three games. They've had uh, twenty two games now where they've scored two runs or less. Mm-hmm. 22 out of 73. I mean, that's it's just below a third, right? Isn't it I amazing mean, they don't have a walk-off win yet? <laughs> I mean, it's just below a third of their game. It was about 30% of their games, they're scoring two runs or less. With this lineup yep. all season, that's a, that's crazy to me. Well, so, you know, I do the betting stuff for Crossing Broad, and I did a little game one preview. I said, take the Nationals on the, on the run line, meaning to win by two or more. So that was right. And... One of the things that jumped out at me as I was researching that game, the Phillies this season, when they're facing a left-handed starter on the road after today's game, they're 3-9. and nine. Mm. I mean, that's, that's bad. I yeah. mean, that's a really – when you look at those different situational splits and you get that type of record from a team that's supposed to be a playoff caliber team, I mean, that's one that jumps out at you. You know, that's one where opponents start to look at that type of performance and say, okay, we're going to do up everything in our nature to try to align left-handed starters against these guys. Yeah. They've got to figure that out as well. I mean, it, it's not priority number one now in the grand scheme of things considering where they're at, but that's something that they need to address going forward as well. And I, I think it's funny you, you watch the Phillies right now and, and the all-star voting's revving up and all of that, but then you JT Romuto – Throws up an 0 for 4 stink bomb today uh, after, you know, missing a, a couple days and with the the groin injury, I guess we'll call it, right? Yeah. But, you know, it's like vote for JT Real Muto as he's leaving five guys on base in game one. And you're just like, there's, no, there's just nothing, there's nothing to feel good about right now as you watch this. It, it's, it's tough. It's a tough watch. Yeah, and I think tomorrow is going to be a lot of the same, too, when you got, I mean, Pavetta's been pitching well, but so is Strasburg. Yeah. And um, I think he may have uh, – I think Strasburg may have been lousy his last time out. Not totally positive, and I don't have it in front of me. But he has been – he's been very good overall, overall, and he's been overall very good lately too. Uh, that start aside, Pavetta has been good. I don't know. It's just going to come down to can the Phillies put four or five runs up on the board at this point. I was actually encouraged by Nick Pavetta last Friday. I know that things fell apart later in the game. Uh, but he pitched into the seventh inning, and I thought he threw pretty well in that game, and the stuff again looked good. So, I mean, 
we'll see how it goes tomorrow, but offensively they've got to figure something out. And, and for at least one day, the offensive ineptitude has sort of taken place uh, of the starting pitching in the bullpen as primary concern, you know, the, the top of the concern list here at this point. Yep. That, no doubt about it. I mean, that's the thing. That's the other thing. You know, we could be positive about it and say, well, you know, the Marlins are next. But the fact is, is you don't have any pitchers for two of the three games against the Marlins. And so that could, you know, as bad as the Marlins are, I mean, you, you can blow a game in there because of that. Yeah, you have Chase Utley night on Friday, right? Yeah. And it's supposed to be this joyous celebration. I'm sure you'll have this packed crowd. Uh, and then they're going to come home off of this road trip. Imagine they lose tomorrow, or they lose tonight if you're listening to this on Thursday morning, and they limp back home having gone 1-5 and five against the Braves and Nationals, and you have a, a capacity crowd, and they get off to a lousy start against the Marlins on Friday night. I mean, that's not what the Phillies had in mind, I don't think, when they, when they scheduled this induction. So, yep. uh, I mean, it, just, it could be an ugly scene, and uh, I, I just... I don't know. I think it's very possible that it does play out that way. Um, you had mentioned earlier on, uh, I believe you talked about um, Brad Miller, right? Yeah. Getting getting a start today. Um, Talk about a throwback, by the way. Got the stirrup socks on, and when he bats, he doesn't wear batting gloves. And he's yeah. got this goofy, old-timey stance, too, like 1927 Babe Ruth stance. The way he stands. Well, watch Brad Miller stand. Yeah. It's like it's he, so he takes a uh, he takes a healthy hack too. He doesn't get yeah. cheated up there. I yeah. wondered if they were going to bunt in the seventh inning after Hernandez's double in the I second would've. game. I would have considered it. I wouldn't have yelled at the TV had they done it. I'll put it to you that way. Um, you saw the subsequent at bats though, and you go, okay, you know. I mean, it's just yeah. not great. Uh, the reason why I bring up Brad Miller is because you know who did not play today. Michael Franco. Yeah, and I just think this this might be the end, like for real this time. I know that we've been here with Michael Franco. We've done segments on the show where we talk about how he's kind of an up and down player, and he's he's sort of he's frustrating to watch because he shows potential, and then he goes into these prolonged slumps. I think the Phillies have reached the end of the line with him. As bad as they've been offensively lately. As much as they could use somebody with some some upside to step up and, and get it done, we're seeing him less. He hasn't been productive when we have seen him. It looks like the Phillies are finally closing the book on Michael Franco. I mean, if you're playing games, if you're playing Sean Rodriguez and Brad Miller in games in lieu of Michael Franco against the Braves and, and Nationals, you're, you're done. It's it. I mean, it's, there's no other way around it. I mean, I mean, he's been a sub-180 hitter for the better part of, I, I believe, like six, seven weeks yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, they, they need to put – I mean, Kingery's ultimately going to be going to be the guy there for the rest of the season once they can figure out an outfielder, right? Um, so, you know, you would think with Kingery going to center field that Franco would get the opportunity to play. And, again, they're going to Sean Rodriguez and Brad Miller <laughs> to play instead. That speaks volumes. So that's bad. so so now all of a sudden we have another problem with this lineup. We have another issue that is cropped up because I mean yeah, Kingery's a little bit more versatile and he can play in different positions, but you know you don't have a you really don't have a third baseman at this point. I don't know. It's just I, like I like I don't want Matt Clentak to get 
and, and to get a pass here. I think that you know when you look at this forty man roster, they don't have pitchers that they want to bring up to pitch games on the weekend. Like there was a conversation, should they should they call up Adonis Medina? He's on the forty man. Like no, we don't want to call him up because well he might not be ready. Or gee, we don't want to make him look bad because we think we might have to trade him for somebody at the deadline. Um, so, you know, like, I really think that the 40-man is really poorly constructed. You remember last year we talked about this, too, when they couldn't call up anybody but Mitch Walding to be on the on the bench, okay, because well, they I mean, didn't they, have another hitter on the 40-man roster. I'm glad like, you said that. Like the Cole Irvin thing, I just I can't do it anymore. I, no. I just cannot believe. I sent a tweet out in his relief appearance on Sunday. I said, Cole Irvin cannot happen after this game. It's non-competitive. He is... I am sure a wonderful person. He is not a major league pitcher. And it's not because he doesn't throw the ball hard. I I will say this. It is 2019. Velocity matters. Guys with big arms are getting drafted for a reason. There is an art form to pitching. Can you get by with having less than A or B level stuff? Yes. But you have got to be really good. I mean, your secondary pitches, you have to have at least three of them, and they all have to be above average. And you have to know how to sequence, and you have to know how to spot, and you have to be damn near perfect. And I know that Cole Irvin had a ton of success in the International League. I know that he's been really good everywhere he's been. But sometimes you just get to this level and it becomes painfully obvious. I mean, this is not a young guy going through growing pains. It's a guy that is not going to be able to consistently get out major league hitters. He doesn't belong in their bullpen. He doesn't belong in their rotation. If you need to keep him down in AAA as as an emergency type of option for a spot start, then so be it. But I cannot believe he is still on the 25-man roster, and I cannot believe, as pro-Gabe Kapler as I am, that he appeared in the eighth inning of Game 1 today in a two-run game. Did you hear it's Gabe's, indefensible. Did you, did you hear Gabe's answer after the game? Did you hear Gabe's answer after the game? What was it that he um, was it something along the lines of like I trust the guys that we have on the roster well, or yeah, something yeah. like he, that? He yeah, says like, that all. He says that all the time. That's 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 Andy Reid's. Uh, yeah, that's the Andy Reid in him, right? No, no. So here's the thing. Here's one of the things that I was totally perplexed by. Uh, yes, bringing Cole Irvin in that, in that spot perplexed me, but there was more to it than that. There was it was it was meatier. It was juicier than that. They put. They had two lefties warming up at the same time. Alvarez and Irvin were both warming up at the same time. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, why would you have both of your left-handed guys in the bullpen getting warm, knowing you have another game tonight and you may need a lefty at some point? Why are they both warming up at the same time? Well, Gabe gave us an answer afterwards, and boy was it a doozy. Gabe's answer after the game was... Alvarez was warming up in case we tied it in the top of the eighth. But he wasn't coming in unless it was 3-3. Irvin was coming in otherwise. Seriously? Seriously? You don't look at 3-1 as an opportunity to, you know, let's keep it within two runs because we still have a chance. That's why you have Alvarez. He's as much of a setup guy as you have in this bullpen right now. You got to go to him there. You have to, and it would have it would have amounted in the in the ninth inning. They did get a run, and then they got yeah. Well, they, they got a run because they weren't facing Sean Doolittle. 
Well, yeah, I, you know, I mean, in all fairness, I, and that's the thing. These guys are so bad right now that I totally 100% agree with you, and you're making the absolute correct point, and I still don't think it matters because I don't think they would have hit, and I think they would have lost the game anyway. Yeah, but I'm saying but you have a better chance of, you know, a, 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 somebody gets on base, and then all of a sudden a home run ties the game. Yeah, yeah, you, you at least right? give yourself a shot. You give yourself a chance. It's, it's almost like the, the, the Phillies at times – just take themselves out of it with decisions. Like we talked but, about that. But Cole Irvin, Cole Irvin should not have been a temptation for, for Gabe Kapler to indulge in. Well, because they had today. three. So, the, so, the, so in the eighth inning, I guess the Nationals had um, three lefties out of four hitters coming up. And so he was going to a lefty, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and I yeah. guess his thought process was, may, I may need Alvarez in a game that's going to be a little bit closer against – Scherzer, I don't, I don't know, but he warmed him up anyway. So I guess once you, so you basically burned him by warming him up at the same time as another left-handed pitcher. Would he have been available tonight? I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's what that's why I that's why I keep saying that I think that the bullpen usage has been poorly poorly managed, and it's it might be Chris Young too, whatever. It, it's poorly managed how they how to utilize these guys. I don't I don't get it. It doesn't make it makes zero sense. Zero. I, I, they, they, and, I, and and to me, it's no wonder they have the amount of injuries that they have in that bullpen. I I just think it's just so poorly managed. I really do. Uh, I think you could look at pretty much every other team in Major League Baseball except for one, uh, except for the team I'm about to talk about. But uh, guy got sent to the minor leagues uh, earlier this week. 843 OPS. He has 11 homers in 209 plate appearances. He's hitting 283 with a 513 slugging percentage. He's 24 years old, and he got demoted to the minors this week. Do you know who this is? No, who's this? That would be Clint Frazier of the New York oh, Yankees. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, that lineup is so stacked that they don't really have room for him. He's not a very good defensive player, and I don't know if there's been attitude issues or what the deal is with Clint Frazier. Um, and I'm sure that there aren't many teams in Major League Baseball that would be demoting a guy with those types of statistics offensively. But it, it's it's funny. The thing that you talked about with Matt Klentak not being able to really fill out a 40-man roster, I, I think that that's a real indictment. And it's even a more of a glaring issue considering how bad the Phillies have been for so long. If anything, you would have thought, okay, if they didn't develop that star talent, fine. But they should really have a lot of good depth in this system at this point. With yeah. w- being able to take on players, take chances on guys that other teams might not, you know, teams that were in pennant races that couldn't really wait on guys that were 23, 24 years old. You, you would have liked to have seen more of a, a rounded product, and they don't have that. And not that I'm, I'm saying that they should be in a spot where they're sending down guys that could produce 30 home run seasons in the major leagues, but they just have nothing yeah they don't they don't I mean, who's like, who's the next guy if not one of the one of the cast of characters probably alec Baum. he's not i mean he's not I, coming you, up no but i'm saying that's oh well, yeah like mean, he's the next big prospect but i'm saying like if you had to fill another spot oh so who's the next man up yeah like who's <laughs> you know i mean that's where we're at here well I, so. it's it's cause there's no bats on the 40-man roster it's nick williams it's Mitch Walding. I mean, that's what's that's what's there. I've always like I've in previous episodes, and I know that Nick Williams hasn't gotten consistent playing time this year. But there are a couple things with Nick Williams that bother me. One, the complete 
and and just total regression from a season ago is one. Two, this like attitude and this like sense of entitlement as if he is above what has happened to him this season where he's kind of been sent up and down. Like he has sort of acted as if it's insulting to to send him to the minor leagues. I I just he's a guy that I don't know he'll if he'll be here after July thirty first. I, I feel like he's he's not long for Philadelphia. And not that there's gonna be some team that's like dying to acquire Nick Williams, but I think that we're getting to the point with him where the Phillies might just say, Okay, we're good. Yeah. And I think that's where they're at with Mike Franco. So, I also think that's where they need to be with the backup catcher. Yeah. So as of right now, anybody uh, uh, aside from who is on the roster, the only bats that are on the forty-man roster that I mean that are that aren't currently on the roster or on the DL, like Hazley and McCutcheon are on the DL. The only bats that are not on the DL or on the roster: Mitch Walding, Dylan Cousins, Nick Williams. Yeah, that's it. And Dylan Cousins is uh, hurt. Yeah, that's right. He's hurt in the minors. Yeah, he's that's hurt right. in the minors. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So two guys. Too. Is that Goslin? Is he still in there? Oh, well, he cleared waivers. Yeah, he cleared, he cleared waivers, waivers. So he's not on the forty anymore. Right. but he is in the he is in the minor league system. Yeah, that's but, scary. That's scary, it's, man. It's, they, and they just don't. They don't have guys. They don't have them. It's uh, to me. He's Matt Clintac is is a a guy who deserves far more finger pointing than he gets. I'm sorry, he does. I, I agree with you. Um, I, I think that if I were to, if we were doing blame power rankings, yeah. I think he'd be at the top. Yeah. You know, I, again, he's done some decent things. You know, you can applaud the acquisitions that he made this offseason. I would argue that how much skill does it necessarily take to, A, have the most money and, and B, be able to pick out the shiniest toy to buy, you know, right. and. That's, I think, well, certainly what happened with Bryce Harper. And if you want to give him credit for JT Real Muto, that's fine. JT Real Muto's a nice player, but you gave up a lot, lot, you know? I mean, compare, let's, can you want to do an interesting thing? Compare Real Muto to Alfaro this year. Yeah, I know. Alfaro's has been decent. Decent, yeah. All right, so so nine nine homers, right? Yeah, he's he's sitting 250. His OPS is 733. Yeah, I mean, Real Muto is the better player, and I think nobody's going to argue that, but at the expense of your supposed top pitching prospect. Yeah, I mean, like like, that's what I'm saying. Like, how much difference is there between this so far, productivity wise? How much difference has there been between what Alfaro's given the Marlins and what Real Muto's given the Phillies? Sure, and, you know, again. 73 games does not a season make. Uh, right. We Things can change. Things can change in a hurry. Phillies could win tomorrow, rip off three in a row against the Marlins, be a game out. We're doing this next week and saying, oh, yeah, you know, maybe. I mean, it's it's possible. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's one of those things where I, I do think that you have to blame the someone for the lack of depth in the organization, the lack of complementary pieces, the inability to really go out and find, you know, the diamonds in the rough and develop them into key players. Uh, for a while, it looked like Odubel Herrera would be that guy. He is not for, for a multitude of reasons. Um, you know, Michael Franco didn't pan out. Uh, Andrew Knapp, I think they thought would be better than this. You know, I don't think anybody ever, you know, had all-star projections for Andrew Knapp, but he went from being a fairly serviceable backup to just 
Useless. Useless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been that bad. You know, I, I just think it's like it's a situation. Nick Williams, Aaron Altair, you know, to, a couple more names to, to, to throw in there. Just guys that, you know, they, they had some flashes that just not only did they they never quite materialize, but they, they completely went the other way. And uh, and why? Know. Yeah. Why? So is that coaching? Is that the your developmental staff in the minor leagues? So this is what this there is has been a lot of turnover though, and like that's the thing they've they've turned over a lot in the scouting department. They've turned over a lot in the instructional department. We've talked about this on previous episodes. Those yeah. new those new implementations, I think, take some time before you can fairly evaluate them. But True. Um, it, it's it's not good. <laughs> you know, no, it's it's, I mean, it's impossible I, I, to look at this and say, yeah, I feel really good about it, this organization from top to bottom. Well, this is me harkening back on on my concern about Gabe, that, because, and look, you're not you're never going to get every guy, you know, f- you know, firing the right way. Okay, you just never are. I mean, you you can manage, you can be the greatest manager ever. You're going to have guys on your team who just don't work. Okay, it's going to happen. But when you see a a collection of players who just don't didn't get it don't work or have bad attitudes like that's where that's what i don't understand like why that is why that became that way with a lot of these players why did they become why did they be you know you talk about nick williams attitude like why did that happen like he was show he showed signs for two seasons of being a decent player even if he was not even you know even if he was not a a starting outfielder but he at least showed the ability to be a good number four and he just fell off the table to the, the, this year well why and again i i i can't help but think that there's something there like that you have to be able to to identify when something's not right and let's fix it and i i have a feeling that these things kind of just fester and 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 don't get addressed and then, then they get to a point where there's you know no tomorrow. There you've you've gotten to the point where it's like that's it. We're you know we're we're done, you know. And there's so many failed experiments. You, you point them you pointed them all out. I mean Herrera, Franco, uh, uh, Williams, Altair. I mean there's so many. Why? <laughs> think, and it, it it I don't I don't just think it's la- it's bad development because the, so these guys all showed you something at the major league level. So it's not just development. There's got to be something at the major league level that's not right. And that's what that's where that's my sticking point with the manager. More than Xs and Os. It's 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 how the team is managed personality-wise and player-wise and and putting them in the you know, it's funny. I'm going to use an Andy Reid line. Put them in the right position to to do well, right? Or make plays, right? Okay? <laughs> right? So th- th- that's what that's what I need a, a baseball manager to do, and I felt you know you go back and look at what well, why was Charlie so successful? He wasn't the greatest X and O guy, Bob. There were mistakes Charlie made. There were things that head scratching decisions. Emotional intelligence, do, right? But he knew how to manage people. He knew how to manage the the team and get everybody pulling on that rope the same way. Whether you were an all star player or the twenty fifth man on the roster, he yeah. knew how to do that, and that's what made them good. That's what made them good because they were a cohesive unit. I don't get the sense that this Phillies team is a cohesive unit at all, and nor have I had that feeling. And I didn't have that feeling last year, and I certainly don't have that feeling right now this year. Yeah, 
Uh, you want to take some questions here? I have some yes. questions. I know yeah. we have questions. Yes. Yeah, we got a couple guys. So uh, some of these I think will, I don't want to say take more seriously than others, but I think some of them will require a more thoughtful answer. Uh, we'll start with uh, Individual671, not a Gabe Kapler fan. Has Gabe lost the clubhouse? It sure seems like it. If so, how long before hashtag fire Kapler? Does he make it to Monday? I'll field that one. I think we've talked a lot about Gabe. Uh, in this show. I don't know that he's lost the clubhouse, but as you said, there are some valid concerns. Yes, I think he makes it till Monday. Uh, and yes, if I had to guess, I believe that he'll make it to the end of this season. Do you disagree with that? I, I think that I think he will make it to the end of the season, but I'm not a, I'm not as confident as you are. I think he will. If I had to put a percentage on it, I'm probably 70% he makes it to the end of the season, but I still think that there's a chance that if if things get really ugly between now and the and the um, All Star break, I, I think it's uh, uh, it's it's a possibility that uh, something happens. All right, we have one from uh, Keith Rinaldi here. Think there's any teams we could get to package a third baseman, center fielder, depending on what they want to do with Kingery and a starting pitcher. So, like, just a big package where you're acquiring multiple guys from a team that that isn't quite meeting expectations. I don't think that that's a realistic possibility because you need a perfect storm there, right? You you would need a team that's decided that they're gonna that they're going to um, sell, and that they have those multiple needs. You just need a. Perfect what you storm. need is the Texas Rangers to be bad. Yeah, and and they're not, and they're thirty nine and thirty five, and you know we've talked a little bit about these guys individually, but like a Mike Miner. Obviously, is somebody that that's been on the radar for a while for the Phillies, um, and then even a, a player like uh, Hunter Pence. Yeah, you know, I mean, just saying. I I don't disagree with you, but uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't I, I don't know why Texas would right now. I mean, they they still have another six weeks to figure things out, and they could fall out of contention. But uh, you know, that would be that would be an interesting deal. No, I, I just don't think it's realistic at the moment. No. Yeah, I think it's tough to do. I think you have to almost um, find everything that you need in different places. Um, th- this one was interesting. Is it is it even realistic to expect the Phillies to be able to fill all the holes on this roster at the trade deadline? Third base, center field, reliever, maybe two relievers and a starting pitcher. And, uh, you know... And, and a backup catcher and yeah, a bench. Yeah, yeah, everything that you really would want. I, I don't think it is, and I think that they're going to have to decide what is going to improve us the most. Like if we can make two to three deals, what is going to maximize our return? I think that they are going to continue into August and September with holes. Uh, I don't think that you're going to be able to make this the perfect team because I think the holes are are plentiful and I I think that they're going to be hard to patch. So no, I don't think they can fill all of those holes. I do think that they will attempt to get a starting pitcher. And I think that they will probably add complimentary bats the way they did a season ago. And I know that that is underwhelming. But when you look at where they're at, look at where the minor league system is, I just don't see them going for broke adding a, you know, A-level talent to the mix here at the deadline. I don't see it. You're probably right. I don't know if there's going to be an A-level talent. I Available. mean, aside from, yeah. aside from maybe Bumgarner, I mean that might Granky. Be, you know, Granky's been tossed around yeah. out there quite but a I mean, bit. But the Diamondbacks are, are kind of in it, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean you're in it as much as you play in the same division as the Dodgers. 
you know. Yeah, but standings wise, aren't they like right? They're not too far behind the Phillies. Yeah, okay, for like you're talking wild card now. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I don't mean, know. I mean, you, yeah. But, but I mean, if you're the Diamondbacks, do you do you sit there and say, "Oh, well, we're gonna we're gonna bail out even because we don't think we're good enough"? I mean, they're only they're game behind the game and a half behind the Phillies. Yeah, uh, you know, for a wild game card behind spot. the Rockies too. Game yeah. a half a game ahead of the Padres. Like I just think that the Diamondbacks, if they got the right package of players and were able to free themselves of Zach Granke's contract at least partially. I think that they would be wise to do that. Um, except, except I will say one thing. You know what their run differential is? Plus, plus 51. Yeah. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. You know? So, I, I, you know, I think that that's a... Uh, I think they'd be feeling real good right now if the Dodgers weren't in that division held an 11-game lead on them. Yeah, I know, <laughs> It's right? crazy. Well, I mean, so really, if you're looking at it, I mean, a, a month... For, we still have a whole other month before we really, really start looking at the deadline, but... You know who right now are the teams that you sit there and say, "Oh yeah, well they're they're out of the race." The they're Blue Jays. Sellers. Okay, you got the Marlins. Not that there's anybody really there that you would really want. The Pirates, the Giants, the Blue Jays, and Orioles. Again, the Orioles are a team you don't have anybody you want. Um, the entire American League Central, <laughs> except no, I mean yeah. uh, Cleveland. Cleveland's probably going to. I don't know. They're 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 one that's kind of a White Sox team. are trending upward. They're not in like I don't yeah. think they're selling right. Uh, but the Tigers and the Royals, and then the Mariners, and, and that's pretty much it. Like you're really not looking at a, a ton of options. So what are you what are you going after? Hey, I got a player on the Blue Jays for you, Marcus Stroman. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, shopping in the, the bargain bin here. Oh, okay. Go ahead. <clears throat> a good defensive infielder. He's got 10 homers, 30 RBIs this season. He's hitting 255. Not a real good on-base guy, but I'm thinking more of like a utility-type player, bench-type guy. 714 OPS. <clears throat> Freddie Galvis. <laughs> I will tell you this. Let me just – I'm going to answer my own question. When Freddie Galvis left Philadelphia, there were people that were really upset about it. They're like, you know, this guy never got the credit he deserved. And I was like, get this guy out of here. He He's not a player. We are at the point, though, where I look at this bench. Like, you look at the Phillies bench and you say, yeah, I'll take Freddie Galvis. Yeah. I mean, he would be an upgrade right now. Freddie Galvis would be an upgrade as a utility guy on this team. You're right about that. You're right about that. I could see them, I, and, and in all seriousness as well, I could actually see the Blue Jays moving Freddie Galvis at the deadline. I think that that would be a player that makes some sense to move. Yeah, but not for the Phillies. <sighs> yeah, that's where we're at, though. You know, yeah. I, I, I just think that if they are going to patch multiple holes, which I, I think they're going to need to do, I just think that those are the types of players you're going to end up getting. I'll tell you a guy that might actually – this is an interesting name that might actually end up on the waiver wire, um, and not because he's played poorly, but it was interesting. I wanted to bring this up earlier when you were talking about Clint Frazier. So, you know, the Yankees, the reason I think Clint Frazier has to go down is because Judge and, and Stanton are coming back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they need to uh, needed to you know create space for those guys to come back into the lineup after their injuries. But if you're the Yankees – do you would you rather you know keep a guy like Clint Frazier who's put up those kind of numbers, or do you want to keep Cameron Maben? Is Cameron Maben a guy that might benefit another team? Yeah, 
as a veteran. Yeah. You know, and and there's a guy that if you need somebody to play center field, and you know, kind of be the poor man's version of McCutcheon. I, I don't know. I think that's a that's a realistic, you know, type of player that would that could help. Yeah, uh, also having a good season. Um, yeah. You know, kind of more of an a part-time role, but hitting three fifteen, And uh, he's, he's mean, gotten on base, and, he's yeah, he's having a really good year for them in, in limited playing time. And where does he go? I mean, who, who, where does he fit once those guys are, are both in the right. line? Yeah. I, don't think that, I don't think he does. And if you're the Yankees, if you have to debate between Cameron Maben and Clint Frazier, I think you're keeping Clint Frazier because he's a younger player. Yeah. So, it's uh, just, something to think about. Just something to throw out there, yeah. Yeah, I don't know that we really had anything else that I, I feel like we have to hit on. Um, were, there any more, were there any more questions? Yeah, there, there was, actually. Someone had brought this up, and just give me a second. I uh, closed out here. I'm going to come back to it. Um, is it just me? And this is from Joe Plaza. Mm-hmm. Is it just me, or does, the, uh, or does this Phillies team feel like last year's team, just with different and more well-known names? It just feels like more of the same can't hit, can't drive in runs, they were uh, 0 for 12, I believe, today with runners in scoring position between the two games, by the way. Uh, can't pitch deep into games, can't hold a lead, etc. Um, it feels like they are no more than a, a boom or bust team, um, and more often than not, it's busts, is what he had to say. Um, is, is this? I, I don't think it's the same team. Like, yes, there are more well-known names, but I also think they're better players. That team last year sucked. That was a bad team last year. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is certainly a better team, but it's playing exactly like the team from last. Yeah, year. it is. So that's why you feel yeah, that way. Yeah, right. That's why I, I think I think he makes a great point. I think it's a good question too. I just yeah. think that no, like this is more like when the Phillies were really bad last year during our shows, we were frustrated at, at the end of last season, but we kind of kept coming back to the same truth, right? This team doesn't have any talent. <laughs> I mean, that's what we kind of yeah. – we, we would explore it and we'd be aggravated and we would dissect it and then we would draw the same conclusion every time. It's not a very good team. They probably had no business being as good as they were in the first half of the season. They probably weren't as bad as they were playing by the end of the year, but it wasn't a very good team, and 80 and 82 was probably a perfectly acceptable result for it. This team is playing exactly the same, but it is definitely playing below its capabilities. Yeah, you're exactly right. So. I think we had um, we had one more from uh, Steve Appleman. Okay. Why do you think Re- uh, Reese has been on such a prolonged cold streak, and what do you think he needs to do to get out of it? Him and Harper are not putting fear into the middle of the order like they should be. Uh, you know, I, I guess th- I'm, I'm sure that there's probably more of a, uh, a mechanical thing that we could point to. Seems to me um, – He's always been a heavy pool guy, so like I don't want to really get into pool and opposite field contact percentages. I look at this and I think I think it's more about pressure. I think things are snowballing on him. I think that he's frustrated. And we've seen this with him before when he goes into these stretches. It just it looks like a comfort thing, and it looks like a pressing thing. And you could say that, I guess, about a lot of hitters that go into slumps, but I really feel like that it applies more to Reese Hoskins. And when he's bad and he's off, he's really off, and I just think that he's going through that right now. I guess I'd be surprised if this lasts. So, I, you know what? I watch him in these in these games lately. I, I, I really see 
teams attacking him in the very similar fashion. Early in the count, they try and jam him in. And, and yes, he's a pull guy, but like it's usually up and in, so it's, it's a lot harder to, to really turn on a pitch up there. And then once they get him into a, a favorable count, then they get him chasing you know, either a fastball off the plate or a breaking ball you know, down and away. And and I think that those are that's how they're attacking him right now, and he has to, he's got to figure out a way around that. And I think that's what that's what the frustration has to be for him right now, because it's when you see every team kind of coming at you the same way, they've found something that you need that you haven't been able to rectify, and so I think that's where and I'm sure he knows. It's not like he's like completely missing it, right? I mean, we 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 know that Reese has got great work ethic, so. Um, I'm sure he sees it, and I think that that's probably when you say he's pressing and he's trying to do too much, and I think it's probably why, because he knows what's wrong and he's still and he just can't fix it yet. Yeah, that's if you why. look at um, like if you look at his splits against certain pitch types, like last year against changeups, he hit 221. Okay, but this year he's hitting 143 against changeups. Like not that he was a, not that he was good against the changeup in in 2018, but he's been really poor against it this season his average and his production against the fastball not drastically lower but a little bit lower um you know same thing like you look at what he did against and i'm just going through this as, as I'm, I'm rolling here um the, the curveball production's like up but the power numbers aren't there with it it's just He's having a really weird year. Like I'm, I'm literally going through these splits, and they're not all that different than 2018. I think you're just seeing a bad stretch from him. I, I would expect, as I said a minute ago, that he'll get out of it. It's not like anything totally jumps off the page. Like the exit velocity similar, launch angle is not all that different. Um, pool distribution is not that different. Production against certain pitch types isn't that different. I just when you start to go a little bit deeper and you look at that stuff, you say, okay, like he's going to have to make an adjustment though, because to your point, the way that he's being sequenced and the way pitchers are spotting against them, uh, you know, they're obviously having some success with it right now. So he's been able to make adjustments in the past when he's gone through these slumps, and he's going to have to do it again. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So there you go. Yep. Well, that's, that's good. A good we got good thing to get some questions from the uh, yeah. From the very nice. Right, very nice. Hey, by the way, Bob. We have another five-star review. There you go. Keep them coming. <laughs> so and I, I, find this one, I thought this one was kind of interesting because I think this one was an effort to uh, – it was a five-star review, but I think it was an effort to tell us that they didn't like something about the show. All right. That's very nice. <laughs> um, I do have a request for anybody else that plans to have a five-star review uh, in the future. Please make your name that you leave as awkward as possible so that when Anthony reads it, I can hear his discomfort. In his voice, I really enjoyed that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was a it was a bad one a couple of weeks ago. But anyway, I think this person is also a uh, a uh, Spike Eskin uh, disciple. Okay, and I say that because the name is R two R S eighty eight. Ah, yes. Writes to Ricky Sanchez, a young thirty year old Ricky Sanchez guy. Yes, R two R S eighty eight. Solid five stars. Good baseball talk. Stick to baseball. <laughs> don't need to hear how social media is harsh, though. I'm not on it, and I don't care. I would say if you choose this profession, you need thick skin, and if you can't take it, you should find something else to do. P. 
People complain because many think they know as much about sports as the people covering it, which I believe is true in many cases. It has nothing to do with politics or fake news. And I think that's a whole uh, screed tied to, I think we talked at the beginning of the last episode yeah. for maybe 45 seconds. No, about we talk, social media. Yeah, well, I think we were talking more about like how like people are mean online, right? Like, and yeah, how nasty they are to players and media types and stuff. And really, he's right. I mean, you do need to have thick skin, and, sure. and I agree with that. And uh, I also agree with the fact that a lot of times the fans know as much as uh, media members. I I don't disagree with that at all. And uh, it's funny. I I kind of hope it didn't come across like me saying like, "Hey, why are people being so mean to me?" It was more just like a commentary on like where we've gotten as a, in a society from like the the average person to the way that they speak to people online really um i actually got a lot of positive feedback about that too by the way some people yeah. actually like the fact that we ventured off but you can't please everybody i appreciate that that uh feedback and i don't disagree with a lot of it so yeah but it was a five-star review yeah. so oh, hey, thanks if you if you want to give us a five-star review we'd appreciate it on itunes uh please do so and if you do we will read it on the program the next time uh, that we record, which next week has to be Bob. When we can tell, we can let everybody know now. It yeah. has to be Sunday for for two reasons. Um, one, uh, I will be traveling to Seattle for work um, Monday on Monday, so I will be gone Monday through Thursday next week. So we cannot record uh, during the week. But also, Bob. Because what, what do you what do you what do you got going on next week? <laughs> I am getting married That's next right. Friday, and I don't think <laughs> I don't think she's going to want me to record that weekend. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't think so either. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, we, looking forward to that. Finally, thirty three years old, figured it out. You know. So congratulations. Here we are. Yeah, I'm looking forward yes. to it. Should be very exciting. Very nice coach, night. Coach yeah. of the year and a wedding ring in the same uh, yeah the same month. A lot That's going on impressive. right now. So That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Things going up for you. That's good. But so, yeah, so next week we will record Sunday night following the uh, Phillies Marlins game. Uh, whoever will be pitching that game for the Phillies, we have no idea. Um, but uh, in the meantime, after you're done listening to this episode, be sure to check out uh, the rest of the shows on the Crossing Broad Podcasting Network. Russ and I just dropped a, um, a new Snow the Goalie the other day. Uh, of course, we dropped it, and then the f- uh, within like minutes of us finishing recording, uh, the the Flyers went ahead and signed Kevin Hayes, um, but I did talk a lot about it on there. The only thing that we didn't have uh, on the sh- on the actual podcast was the actual contract. So uh, check that out. There's some good Flyers stuff on there. Crossing broadcast with Russ and Kevin Kincaid. Um, that's our flagship uh, podcast. that has been going on for a long, long time. Um, they talk about all things Philadelphia sports, um, and then we have the two soccer podcasts. It's always soccer in Philadelphia. Um, and uh, which has a live show coming up in uh, July 21st, I believe, is what Russ said. I forget. I, get, I didn't even write it down. How pathetic am I? Um, but, uh, yeah, a live show coming up uh, at a bar in Chester, um, which is going to be awesome. Um, and then there's also uh, it's Crossing Broad FC, which is the European soccer show with uh, Russ and Phil Kaidel. And uh, finally, Broadlines with uh, Bob and uh, – Kyle and who else does that with you? Uh, that'll be Jason Zernicki. Jason Zernicki, that's right. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, be sure to check those shows out, and uh, and we will be back with you on Sunday.